Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Remy Battery, family owned and operated since 1931. Serving Milwaukee along with Escanaba and Houghton, Michigan, and now also in Waukesha, Wisconsin as Challenger Battery. RemyBattery.com and by the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, CastleRock-Petenwell.com. I'm Dan Small. Today, outdoor writer Ron Weber shares a story about a doe that lost its newborn fawn. And my son John reports on his training as a kayak instructor on Lake Superior. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, and this is a feature you hear every week at this time on WTSO, the Big 1070, and anytime at all on our podcast on LakeLink, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us once again is pro angler Duffy Cup. Well, Duffy, gosh, the weather's been kind of goofy lately. A lot of wind, some cold, some warm temperatures. Yep. Uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm not a weatherman and have to uh, grab this. Yeah. I think I've run out of heat. Well, uh, or explain it. <laughs> yeah. So what do you know? What have you been doing? I'm looking at, at, at uh, the three main Madison lakes, and Mendota, Monona, and Wabisa. There's been good action on pike and bass. You just got to know what to look for to go get them. Once, once you find that, then you should be able to catch some fish. It's like I was out this morning on Mendota, and I've been on that lake enough to know that uh, this part of the year where they're going to be, and I had some good pike action, so that was a lot of fun. And other thing for something that's a little bit for people that aren't quite looking for predator with teeth is uh, the carp are very active right now. Oh, okay. So if you know what to use for bait, whether it's a small cut bait or if it's some kind of a dough bait or whatever you're going to use on that or just a big lot of night crawlers, then now is a good time to go out there and find those carp. They're probably pre-spawn right now on uh, Wabisa and Monona, and they're getting very close to pre-spawn on Mendota. So that's something for people. And I, I think, again, with the... You know, the up and down of the weather, if you're out at the right time, you certainly can catch uh, bluegills and crappies. Crappies are probably pretty much done spawning by now, I'm guessing, unless we get a big cold front coming through again. But they're out there, and I'll tell you what, uh, some of the places I, I have been, especially on Wabisa, uh, we weren't fishing for crappie, but there are a lot of crappie in the area, and there are some big ones. And, of course, they turn a real dark black when they're spawning and it's kind of cool to watch them swim around so you say uh if you know what to look for well without putting a pin on a map what would you look for to find those panfish they have to have a place where they can hide a little bit so if there are some vertical weeds so they don't have to be real high you know you get them two three feet high they'll be in those areas sometimes deeper uh and you go up to five to eight feet deep if there's some cover down on the bottom where they can scoot around a little bit and uh, not be out in the wide open have a muskie looking for them <laughs> yeah that's what they're looking for when the water gets up to close to 70 degrees in those shallow areas those bluegills will be in there and they're usually spawning from about 
little under 70 or 70 degrees to about 75 degrees. That's prime spawning time for them. So pay attention to water temperature. Of course, in the spring, that's always an important thing. But if, if you've got a little bit of a sand flat, maybe with some scattered weeds on the bottom and stuff like that, then you can start finding out where they are. They're not always real shallow. The smaller ones would be real shallow. The bigger ones will spawn oh, in five feet of water, maybe sometimes even up to 10 feet of water. If nothing else, I, I take my aqua view out there and I'd look for them is what I'd do. Sure. Okay. How about finding bass and walleyes this time of year? Bass are probably on the beds, I would think, at this point. I, I want to leave them alone if they're on the beds. Okay. And I think that the, the largemouth, I think the smallmouth are, are in the process or maybe getting done. Uh, so it's no, I don't think it's a big problem going after uh, smallmouth. you got to understand that smallmouth are usually a lot deeper than the largemouth are. They live in a different environment. They can be spawning in, in 12, 13, 14 feet of water. There are places on uh, Mendota that are like that, some rocky areas, and then it kind of turns to gravel, and they make their little nest there and, and get the job done. Yeah, Okay. And you say you had some luck with pike. I would imagine you're fishing weed edges. Weed edges. A lot of times you have an outside edge, but you can look and see if there's an inside edge to the weeds, too, or the weeds will stop, and then you'll have two and a half, three feet of water there. Uh, you can should work that, too, because a lot of times they're going to be hanging right in that area uh, looking for something to eat, too. Fish, I always look for edges. Even the surface is an edge. If you ever watch deer coming off a farm field and then they're going to, they don't always go right into the woods. They will follow the edge of that woods down. Uh, wildlife does the same thing. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a deer or a, or a bluegill. They're going to be following an edge in some way, shape, or form. So once you get that figured out, that makes your life a little bit easier. Yeah, well, gosh, deer hunters should pay attention to your advice there because <laughs> uh, it's an interesting observation, and I think it's pretty accurate. When you talk about inside weed edges, how does somebody fish that with a good-sized boat? I get in right on top of those weeds, right near the weed edge, and then when I'm casting, I'm casting parallel to that weed edge instead of perpendicular. Okay. I think that's the most efficient way to work that. Uh, you probably want to downsize a little bit on uh, some of the stuff that you're throwing, but uh, that can be a pretty successful strategy, and if I wouldn't have gotten blown off the lake today, I probably would have ended up doing that after I worked the outside edge and, and then go in and work the inside edge, because then, if nothing else, you're going to be finding some fish that are going to be looking for something to eat or spawning area or something like that on that inside edge. Yeah, okay. Well, recently you had the Capital City Muskies, Inc. tournament. Did you three-peat as winner? No, I did not. This is amazing to me, and it shows you how tough things were early in the season, is we had, I think it was 17 boats. Okay. So you can multiply that by at least two for the number of people that were fishing in that tournament. Some of those guys in there are more experienced at doing it than I am. Uh, some really good sticks. And of all those boats, there was not a fish caught. Oh, my. I was, I think I was the only one that had a foul. I just lucked out and I had a foul. Ooh. It wasn't a huge fish. Probably, yeah. oh, 35, 36. 
and it just it came up and made the turn flip me off and <laughs> and got out of there. But uh, nobody saw said they even saw one. Wow. Well, so, you were you were that close to three peat then uh, if you had hooked that fish. Yeah, it wasn't, and it wasn't very shallow water. It was uh, on one of those JB spinner baits, uh-huh. uh, bringing it back, and he would, came up to check it out, but he didn't. He wasn't real active and not being aggressive towards it. Yeah, okay. Well, we're almost out of time, but there's an event going on this weekend, and for most Madison listeners, that's today, Saturday. Yeah, we've got the Ohio Fishing Club puts on their annual Kids Fishing Day down at Warner Park. There's a pond down there. And uh, it's just behind the baseball stadium there where uh, those uh, young college kids play during the summer. And it's welcome to anybody, kids that come, get a free rod and reel and maybe a little tackle box. The live bait is free. We feed everybody. Uh, and it's, if it's a nice day, which it looks like it's going to be, uh, it really ends up being a wonder, wonderful event, and a lot of people will get a chance. And the thing you find out, a lot of times kids kind of lose, lose the interest a little bit, but the parents hadn't been out fishing in the last 15 years, and the kids are sitting in the grass watching their parents fish. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I know there's a Bill Wood tournament um, later in June, but we got to let you go. We'll talk to you again before that one. Okay. Thanks, Dan. You bet. Thank you, Duffy. Duffy Cup with the Madison Outdoors Report. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nasita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm Voted Best and Rated Best, Hupe and Abraham. 800-800-5678 or visit hupie.com. And by the way, all 11 offices of Hupie and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business. Well, also open for business, Jeff Kellum in Wisconsin (laughs) Rapids. Uh, After a quiet Memorial Day weekend, you've got a bunch of uh, tournaments coming up, don't you? Yeah, starts this uh, starts this weekend here. Marinette uh, Masters Walleye Circuit uh, rolls into the Merck Nationals in Fond du Lac uh, next weekend, and then uh, we're over in Oscoda, Michigan, for Masters Walleye Circuit after that, and then down to Alabama for the High School Fishing World Finals, and then we'll wrap it up after uh, the Fourth of July with uh, 
well, not wrap it up, but uh, I, I kind of take a little bit of a break after uh, Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin high school state championships after the fourth. So wow. two of those in the same weekend. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. So, yeah, I'm and my head is spinning trying to keep track of that. I imagine you and Eileen have uh, some calendar coordination to do, right? Yeah, two kids, and uh, you know my parents watch them while we're on the road for mm-hmm. the most part, and so it's uh, it can become a challenge to make sure that everybody's where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Now, do you MC uh, the Walleye Weekend? Nope, I don't MC that one. Uh, I get okay. to rest my vocal cords and probably run a release boat all weekend. Uh, this is your your event is kind of piggybacked on that event, right? Yeah, we I, the the event itself. Uh, is actually run by the Lighthouse Anglers and and Mercury, uh, but we facilitate all of the the tournament programs, the release boats, uh, and we we assist them in making it the best event that uh, we possibly can. And I believe Keith Cavias will be uh, emceeing again. Uh, Dale Strohshine will probably find his way onto the stage as well, and it'll be a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there a few times. I was there once when. Al Lindner was, I don't know if he was emceeing or he was just a guest, and, and uh, they brought me up, and we had a little chat about, of course, walleye fishing and, uh, you know, all that kind of good stuff, and, and years of TV, which we had both had under our belt at that time. This was at least a decade ago. Anyway, so... Um, so what's going on at your place? Any uh, anything exciting going on? Well, you know, I, I'm always thinking deer hunting, um, and mm-hmm. so this year I wanted to add a a water hole, a water feature onto my property, and and uh, you know, there's there's lots of debate whether or not that's that's worth the it's, you know wait, but for me, I know for a fact that my the deer that come through my property are going from a dry bedding place to dry bedding. You know, when the bucks walk through in the fall. Um, they are searching through bedding areas and I live, I live in sand country. <clears throat> yeah. And I do have some creeks and things like that that run through, but there's a lot of science to deer prefer still water versus moving water. And they prefer not to drop down into a valley to eat or, or to, to drink. They'd rather have it in a flat open ground so that they can see everything otherwise they're very vulnerable um if they've got to dip their head below you know land level and so um with all of that said i thought you know what i think a water feature would be really great at my place uh gives them some place to drink gives them the nutrients they need at that time and of course opportunity to observe those animals and uh possibly harvest one so uh put one in it's a 110 gallon tub from uh tractor supply and uh one of these poly tubs um, sure, and sure. uh dug a hole big enough to to put it in at at uh, ground level and filled it back in around it and uh um within the first night I had deer coming to check it out <laughs> and uh <laughs> they are now drinking out of it daily and uh hmm. last night I actually had a bobcat stop by wow. and uh stopped and grabbed a drink and moved on hmm. and so um it was really kind of neat to see how the animals are using it uh, it'll be cool to uh, to see how that works throughout the fall. Uh, deer get a lot of their water right now through the green vegetation they eat, so it's it's right. not something that every deer around all the time needs to come right there and get a drink. But uh, I already see that that it's becoming a pattern for them, and it's to be uh, it'll be neat just to observe the amount of deer and and I'll give them the opportunity to grab what they need. 
Yeah, that's great. Now, do you have to clean that <clears throat> occasionally because it's standing water in a tub, and I would imagine it would uh, generate some algae and who, who knows what else, mosquitoes probably. Yeah, so th- there will be that in there. Um, there is, uh, there's been a lot of, you know, observation done with other people that have used, uh, professionals in the industry that have used tubs for, for this, and the deer prefer it to be algae-ridden, muddier. Oh, darker water they don't know if it's because the deer don't like being able to see their reflection or what it may be but uh the the only thing that they you want to put like what they call a critter stick you know they want something in the water so that rodents and things like that aren't sitting there drowning in the water that will that will spoil the water hole and uh and nothing will come and drink and and could be you know could cause some some serious issues with those that that do come drink. So, yes, sure. there'll be some mosquitoes there. Is it going to change the mosquito population in my backyard? Probably won't. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, it's going to sit the where it sits. Uh, I'll watch it. Uh, I have just enough hose to go fill it. And if I didn't, uh, I've got uh, tanks and tubs I can go fill it with if I needed to. But uh, the rain should keep it relatively filled uh, throughout most of the year. And and when I need to fill it in the fall, that's when I'll. Uh, drag a hose back there again yeah cool well it'll be neat to watch what happens and you have a trail camera on the on the pond i do sure, yes right? yes i do yeah <clears throat> okay well i was kind of busy last week i ran up to bayfield um, i had a turkey permit for the last season and uh, spent a, three days actually turkey hunting with my son john and uh, <laughs> Uh, talked to birds, saw birds at a distance, and finally figured out the last day I was there, at too late, um, where the blind should have been. So I think we're set for next year, but I did not tag a bird. And we did a little trout fishing on a rainy day on one of my old favorite rivers, uh, the White River, that I haven't fished in, gosh, 30 years probably. And caught a couple small trout, lost one nice fish that broke me off. And then we uh, tried a small lake for walleyes and had some battery trouble with the boat. And so I ran to West Bend on Friday to get the boat back to Cedar Lake Sales. Turned out it was a the onboard charger that charges the trolling motor batteries. That had failed. Oh. So I wasn't getting a full charge, so the batteries were dying. But we have that remedied, I think. And I'm going to go out this week and make sure the boat is working because my brother Mike's coming into town next week and we're going to kind of fish our way north and hit some musky lakes. So cool. I, I've got to have the boat working there. But <clears throat> gosh, uh, we saw a bear cross the road um, between Cornucopia and Bayfield. Uh, I saw a wolf cross the road not far from our property. We saw a number of fawns, including a couple or one that was uh, right in John's backyard. So it was uh, kind of a memorable, uh, memorable week. And uh, then when I was back in West Bend, uh, Lauren Voss called me and he said, well, I just shot turkey number 155. You want to help me clean it? So I did, and I (laughs) skinned it for Jeff Frederick. And Lauren said, well, here, why don't you take the meat? I know you like it more than I do. So, yeah. So I ended up with a turkey after all. There you go. <clears throat> and we had a new goat kid born this week. Another doe is due to freshen soon. So we should be pretty much done with our livestock. All the lambs are on the ground and everybody's healthy, which is a good thing. 
That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it is. And speaking of babies, you know, this is when a lot of wildlife have their young, and the DNR reminds us not to pick up baby birds and animals. Deer especially leave their fawns alone for hours at a time. I mean, we saw a number of fawns that some people would think were abandoned, but, you know, they're probably not. And it is illegal to possess a wild animal unless you have a rehab permit or you're taking it to some place. So leave them where they are. That's where they belong. Well, speaking of baby animals, outdoor writer Ron Weber is going to read his essay about a doe that lost her fawn. And we'll kick things off with my son John reporting on his kayak instructor training up on Lake Superior. He is going to be a guide this summer and looking forward to some great adventures. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Celebrate with the best rods on earth Saturday, June 18th in Park Falls, Wisconsin at St. Croix's annual Customer Appreciation Day. Enjoy seminars with top pros, casting instruction, a free brat lunch, and get amazing deals on St. Croix rods, apparel, and other items. Attend a free concert with Joe Booker and the Top Raiders at 2 and UMG Nashville singer-songwriter Cassie Ashton at 4. Come celebrate fishing fun and family at St. Croix Rod in Park Falls Saturday, June 18th. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on the Outdoors Radio Network. I'm Dan Small. And joining me now from Bayfield, Wisconsin, on the shores of Lake Superior, is our Northwoods correspondent and my son, John Small. Well, John, welcome back. Thank you. Now, you are going to be doing a lot of kayaking this year, and you have already been doing some, but it's been very specific kinds of kayaking, right? Yeah, yeah. So we we went out a couple of days just to get our feet wet and, you know, see how the boats are and, and get back in them. But over the last two weeks, I've been basically certifying to become a kayak guide in the Apostle Islands this summer. Cool. So you will be guiding you and Sally Ann both, right? Correct. With what outfit? Whitecap Kayak. They are out of Washburn. Tell us a little bit about that outfit. So Whitecap is a family-run kayaking outfitter. They were based in Ironwood, Michigan, and they moved to Washburn uh, two years ago and have a learning center. Um, The owner and head of the organization, Neil Schrader, is their trainer educator so he's basically the highest level of ACA trainer you can be and he runs courses through their learning center 
so that's where they have all their kayaks and they run trips from. And so we will be guiding for Whitecap Kayak this summer. And we just completed yesterday, we finished the ACA Level 3 Coastal Kayak Instructor Certification, which is a requirement to guide camping trips in the park. Okay. And what does that entail? Basically, uh, proving that you can do and teach all of the level three strokes, which are pretty, goes all the way from, you know, forward stroke to a roll. Uh, you don't have to teach a roll, but everything in between. So all the, all the maneuvers, basically, for a kayak in one to two feet of waves. Okay. And we're talking, we're talking sea kayaking on big water. And in, in this case, of course, it's Lake Superior. These are 17-foot uh, enclosed decked kayaks, touring kayaks. Okay. And you do, you will be guiding camping trips in the islands, in and among the islands, uh, with uh, groups. How big are the groups usually? Well, the biggest group I've seen on the calendar is 18 people. Oh, that's my goodness. Three guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not on that trip, but uh, that's the biggest one I've seen so far. In general, I think they're, you know, three to six people. Okay. And you've done some of these uh, in the last two years already, haven't you? Well, we've, we've done it ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so we never worked guides. Right. Um, we just went with friends and, and basically camped in the apostles. So we know the drill I and mean, we know how to do it. But uh, it's a whole different thing when you're bringing customers and people who don't have uh, perhaps the same level of you know kayaking ability uh, that you know we're used to. Yeah, and of course you're responsible for their safety uh, if they hire you to guide them. Yeah, we are. And so two weeks ago we completed the wilderness first responder training, uh, which is pretty intense, and that basically covers all the things that can go wrong when you're far from you know an ambulance and how to triage and stabilize patients for a variety of things, you know, from heart attacks to sprained wrists, you know, it's all in there. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's good training to have, and was that required for being a guide as well? Well, you know, I think all you need is wilderness first aid, which is like a two-day version of the course, but we did the full first responder, um, which is typically an eight-day course. Mm-hmm. And obviously you learned a lot of skills. Do you feel now... Uh, more competent, I guess you must feel more competent. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot, and it was kind of overwhelming. There's a lot of medical terms, but the basics of it, you know, stuck with me so far, and I totally feel confident that if I find, you know, or someone on a trip with me has an episode or an accident or an injury, um, I can at least, you know, address it and stabilize it till we can get them out of it. Uh-huh. And how do you get someone out of there if you're two miles out or ten miles out? Well, you radio for help. You know, if the person's not able to paddle, uh, we don't really have a way to drag them out. I mean, we're all in individual kayaks generally, and if they're not able to sit upright and paddle a kayak, then we need to call for uh, a boat. And so we would call probably the Bayfield Coast Guard Station or the Ranger Station. And boats are either standing by or ready to respond if, if someone calls for help like that? Yeah, and it's an evacuation at that point, and it goes, uh, you know, it goes, it's expensive. And mm. so hopefully the person has uh, evacuation insurance because it can, the dollars, I guess, mm. you know, depending on the situation. How much can it cost? Tens of thousands. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what if a helicopter comes? Yeah. Uh, 
gets up there. Yeah, for sure. This is the kind of training that it's good to have, but you hope you never have to use the most extreme training that you did. Yeah, you know, I asked after we did the course, like, what happens when you evacuate? Like, we never have had to yet, so, uh-huh. you know, we're not really sure what, what happens, who shows up when you call. Yeah. Both of the uh, owners, Neil and his wife, are ER doctors, the medical director, I guess, of, of the company, and so we would call them for any kind of situation for to see, you know, if, if it warrants an evacuation. So it's good to have that on the team, of course, but um, no ambulance is going to come. Right. Now, do they have a powerboat if they need to come out and rescue you? They, they do not, no. Uh-huh. So somebody else would do it. Yeah. And in winter, the Madeline Island wind sled, I don't know where who owns that, but uh, the Nelson family has operated that for years. Uh, that's how uh, people get back and forth from the island to the mainland in winter when the road, the ice road is not safe yet, and uh, they use that for evacuations, I know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have a powerboat or a, an airboat or something. Well, I mean, there's tons of boats here, and, yeah. and, you know, we're using marine radios. I think if we were to make a distress call, um, you know, the first response may just come from a fishing boat, uh-huh. um, you know, who's ever closest. Yeah. Well, okay. Now, you will be guiding trips. Some of those are already scheduled, I would assume. Yeah. We're already uh, slated for two of them in July. Uh, one of them, uh, just a couple for five nights in the islands, and another for, I think it's a three-nighter, five or six people. Uh-huh. And these trips, are they planned to go to a certain number of islands or certain islands, or do you vary that depending on the weather? The plans are scheduled based on uh, reservations that we can get. And, uh, as an outfitter, we have first dibs at the kayak reservation system, or the camping uh, reservations in the park so we're allotted so many and so we have these reserved already so we plan the trip based on the reserved campsites that we have uh, for that weekend or week neil does all the booking of the campsites we plan the trip based on what's available and if people want to plan a trip with you folks how do they get a hold of you go to whitecapkayak.com and uh on trips well that sounds exciting i know you and sally ann are looking forward to it and I'm sure you'll have a lot of adventures this summer, and we'll be talking to you regularly about how they're going. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. John Small with a report from Lake Superior from Bayfield, Wisconsin. We'll be talking to him fairly often this summer and find out how the kayaking is going up there and what folks can do if they really want to go up and and kayak on their own or with an organized trip. I'm Dan Small, more Outdoors Radio, right after this. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. This is baby season for many wildlife species, including white-tailed deer. You know, I saw several fawns while driving to and from Bayfield County last week, and perhaps you've seen some too. Most fawns survive to become adult deer, we know that, but many do not. 
Some are killed by predators like bears, wolves, coyotes, bobcats. Some are hit by vehicles as they follow their mothers across a busy highway. Others die in hay fields because birthing time for whitetails often coincides with the first cutting of hay. Well, when a doe loses a fawn, how does she react? Does she feel the same kinds of emotions a person might feel at the loss of a child? Well, these are questions a lot of people, I'm sure, have wrestled with. And joining me now to share a story about an encounter he had over Memorial Day weekend that raises some of these questions is Ron Weber. Ron is a DNR forester stationed in Ladysmith, Wisconsin. He's also an outdoor writer, and his essays appear in Wisconsin Natural Resources magazine, other publications as well, and they're also featured on Wisconsin Public Radio and online at wisconsinlife.org. Well, Ron, thanks for joining us again, and welcome back. Glad to be here, Dan. Always an honor to talk with you. Well, it's always a pleasure, because I I love your essays, and uh, I apologize for the long intro, but I figured I had to set it up a little bit. Quite moving. It's called My Weekend with the Doe. I gather it was a true true life experience for you. Yep, this is a true life experience. Happened about a year ago, actually. (laughs) Memorial Day weekend a year ago. Yeah, okay. Would you read it for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. My Weekend with the Doe. Though sunny weather was forecast, my Memorial Day weekend plans did not include picnics or fishing. Yard chores and planting a garden was my fate. Pulling in the driveway Friday after work, I saw my neighbor cut his first crop of hay. That aroma reminded me of the plethora of sights and smells that make this month of rebirth such a joy, and how much even we humans live with the rhythm of the seasons. Just after supper, as I walked towards the garden, I saw a deer in the field. With deer so plentiful, I never gave it a second look. Finishing my task about an hour later, I saw the deer had not moved. Then I knew. Rising just after dawn, the deer was my first thought. I went to an upstairs window, hoping for an empty field. That hope was dashed when I saw a deer walking close to where I had seen it the evening before. I watched the doe walk through the field searching, until I couldn't watch anymore so I distracted myself with breakfast. Working around the yard, I paused often to look in the field. Each time, there she was, though often in the area I had first seen her. She also walked the perimeter and through the field, searching, and I surmised, hoping. I was still hoping, too, when about 1 p.m., an eagle circled twice and glided to a landing 10 yards from the doe. It took a couple short hops and began feeding. The doe looked on as the eagle feasted. There was no denying my own sadness now. The eagle fed for a bit and took wing. The doe approached with her head low, and there she stood. As dark crept over the field, she was standing near where the eagle had fed. Call it instinct, dedication, love. Whatever it was, it was something to behold. A restless night of sleep followed. In the morning, I rose and headed for the window. I saw a large animal I thought at first glance was a wolf. Instead, it was a big coyote enjoying the spoils. The doe was standing 30 yards away. She sidled in until finally the coyote would have no more. It feigned a charge which sent the doe running. It returned to feed for another five minutes before racing towards the woods. The doe made her way back, and there she stood. That evening, I helped my wife prepare a new flower bed. Carrying weeds and sticks to the corner of our yard, 
Through a gap in two spruce trees, I saw a deer 20 yards away in the field. Our eyes locked. I still recall what I saw in those eyes. It was sadness. Was it just the does or a reflection of mine as well? I'm not sure. I tossed my load under the spruce. The doe never moved. I dropped my eyes, turned, walked away, and never looked back. Darkness mercifully came. That evening, I realized I knew better what all the Leopold meant when he wrote, for one species to mourn the death of another is a new thing under the sun. I dozed off and slept like a rock. The next morning, the doe was gone. At noon, the farmer bailed the hay. The curtain had fallen on this play. The stage was cleared and the actors left. In my memory, I would save the ticket stub from my weekend with the doe, in which I learned more not only about the nature of animals, but human nature as well. Wow. I love reading it. I love hearing you read it because it was your experience and and you you pause it at the right time and and you know it's your story uh there's so much yeah. going on there life rebirth death i mean may as you mentioned uh the month that just ended now is a time of rebirth and uh we know that farmers mow their first cutting of hay at that time and so on your leopold quote i didn't remember that quote but that's from a sand county almanac isn't it yeah that's one of his good ones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think feeling sadness at the death of a fawn is a common experience, but are we anthropomorphizing a little too much? You're a hunter. Yeah. My my wife said, well, you shoot deer, and yet you feel sad at the death of a fawn. I think most hunters would understand that, what some people would see as a dichotomy. So what do you think? I feel sadness when I when I shoot a, uh, an adult deer. To take a life, really, of anything, at least for me, is a very, very personal, very serious thing. And so I feel that sadness when I do it. Like I said, with adult animals. So with when I see little animals, kind of the same thing. I'm not sure it's anthropomorphizing. I think it's just a. Like I said, I, I, in my essay, you know, maybe it speaks to something within our human nature, just something that's in us. It's interesting, the farmer that it was in the story here, bailing the hay, I had conversations with him. He feels terrible yeah. when this happens. I mean, he goes out of his way not to let it happen. He's always trying to look at what he's mowing and, you know, as he's going. But when it happens, he's told me he feels bad because he knows, you know, that he took the life of this little fawn that the doe was so riveted towards raising you know basically that was the charge of of her life at that moment you know and so even the farmer felt very bad about it so yeah. i think it's something just natural in our human nature yeah and i guess maybe anthropomorphizing is the wrong word to talk about our emotions it's more empathy or uh, yeah. or sympathy but on the part of the doe how will she be affected by the loss of a fawn i mean immediately obviously she was going to nurse this baby and she's right. carrying a load of milk, and and the hormones that associate with the maternal instinct and with the bonding that happens, but you know that wears off over time, or or she'd walk around sad for the rest of her life. Yep, I agree. Like I said, by by the the third morning, she had left. She left before the farmer came to bale the hay. You know that. <laughs> I don't know what the period of grief is within a doe. I, I have no doubt, having spent enough time with animals, uh, specifically hunting dogs, 
that, you know, they are, they are full of emotion. And just watching animals behavior with each other, there's no doubt in my mind they have emotions, if not equal to ours, very close. Um, they feel very deeply about things. So mm -hmm. whether, you know, so like I said, the doe, she sat out there for, for two and a half days that I know of, but then she was gone. She left before the, the hay got bailed. So she had moved on at some point. Well, Ron, uh, I'd like to continue this, but we got to take a break here. Can you bear with us for a minute or so? I sure can. All right. Well, folks, I'm talking with outdoor writer Ron Weber about his essay, My Weekend with the Doe, and uh, we will come back after this break and uh, talk a little more. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. I'm talking with outdoor writer Ron Weber, and he just read his essay, My Weekend with the Doe. It's about his experience observing a doe that had lost its fawn in a hayfield because the farmer ran over it with a mower, and of talking about the 
deer's emotions or supposed emotions or feelings and, and of course, a human reaction to that. And, Ron, during the break here, you just mentioned that you have written a number of essays that essentially deal with this topic of how hunters sometimes or often feel sadness when they take the life of an animal. For, I want to say most hunters, it, it is an emotion that's there. Because I know I've had conversations with plenty of hunters that, you know, they, they've kind of, uh, or people that have read my essays, they'll, they'll, you know, either call me or write me. Uh, somehow they let me know that, wow, thank you for writing that because that's the way I feel. And sometimes I think maybe these kinds of, these conversations can be kind of hard to have at a deer camp or, you know, with friends. You know, they are kind of intimate and, Maybe sometimes, you know, reading something like that and then reaching out to a stranger and saying, you know, hey, I, I have the same kind of feelings. You know, thank you for writing that article. I, I definitely think it's out there. I think it's in a lot of hunters. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, you you mentioned some things are hard to talk about. I, I wrote about butchering the first ram that we had when we started raising sheep uh, 10 years ago. And... I had a hard time doing it, uh, but I did it because I, I, I said, look, I'm going to eat this animal. I'm going to kill it myself. And then the first yeah. night when we sat down to eat, I broke into tears. I, I just I couldn't handle it. Uh, but I got over it, <laughs> and I enjoyed the meal, and we ate the rest of uh, Ed- Edgar <laughs> was the name uh, of our, our ram. And yeah. I had a number of farmers come up to me at sports shows and say, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about, you know. And people say, boy, you don't want to name the calves that your kids are going to take to 4-H, you know, because then you're going to eat them or sell them later. It's a common yeah. it's a common experience, I guess. I, I really think it is. Like I said, the farmer I had talked to, uh, my neighbor here, the, the farmer in the story, he, you know, he told me the same, same thing you kind of just said. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there's always those, there's always those feelings when, because they are, they, they become, you know, pseudo part of your family, yep. um, even though they're farm animals, <laughs> there is a little bit of that, and they get over it, like you did, and, and, and we all do, but it's good to know that it's there to me, as far as, I think it speaks well for our human nature. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, some people say nature is cruel. I mean, wolves and coyotes kill fawns and other animals to feed themselves, and, <clears throat> and of course, they're young, and for most yeah. wild animals, death is not a pretty scene. I mean, the mice get ripped apart by hawks and stuff. Is, is is it fair to say nature's cruel? I always like to just end it with, instead of adding cruel, I think nature just is. Uh-huh. That's what it is. I mean, nature is nature. And, yeah, that that's one of the things I know sportsmen, um, you know, a lot of times we, you know, especially with deer. Deer is our, you know, sort of our sacred animal in the state. And so somehow when a coyote or a fox or a a wolf or a bear, you know, finds a fawn or an elk calf and tears it to pieces and eats it, that somehow that's different than, like you just mentioned, a hawk. You know, uh, I I feed the birds here, and we have hawks that hang around and and feed very easily on the birds that come to our feeders. Uh Uh-huh. A a nest of baby rabbits, and a, a mink finds it and tears it apart. It's not pretty. I always find it kind of interesting that we don't hold the animosity towards those animals that we do the larger predators 
that eat the deer, especially wolves and coyotes. Yeah. They, they get a lot of animosity thrown at them for really just being what their nature designed them to be. Uh, this time of year, you have a lot of young born. That includes the, the coyotes and the wolf pups and the bear, bear cubs, and they all have to eat. And, you know, I think none of their nature planned it that way, to yeah. have all that abundance out there. Yeah. So they all have a shot. Yeah, for sure. Well, but, but then here comes man and uh, modern man with his mowers and his automobiles and his highways, you know. How should we deal with fawns in hayfields, baby cottontails in our yard, or turtles crossing the road to lay their eggs? Um, you said the farmer is very tries to be very attentive, uh, but accidentally he ran over that fawn. There's no easy answer to that dilemma uh that that's the you know roads are uh dangerous places the reality is for for young lives the world is a dangerous place whether it's a little baby human just imagine if we didn't have you know if a, a baby human had to survive on its own uh, oh, yeah. outdoors <laughs> you know the, the doe can't hang around with the fawn all the time she has to leave otherwise the fawn would probably get found by predators much easier sure it's a very dangerous place out there from a lot of angles for a young thing. And so I'm not going to blame humans. I'm not going to blame the farmer. I'm not going to blame a driver driving down the road. But yeah, it, it, those add ultimate, you know, layers of danger that, you know, before we came were never there that the animals had to deal with. But you can look at that on the flip side. That same farmer that's cutting the hay and planting the fields, he's providing food for those deer for the rest of the year that, are going to nourish them and, uh, you know, make them healthy going into next spawning season. So it's, it's works both ways. It, it does. And it's more complicated than, uh, as most things are more complicated right. uh, than they appear on the surface. Well, you, you slept like a rock after thinking about Leopold's quote of, um, you know, it being an unusual phenomenon that, that humans, um, mourn the loss of another species um so and you you mentioned getting over uh you know the death of uh, little animals uh, so you you got over that fawn i guess oh yeah yeah because it'll it'll happen again i mean this wasn't the first time i had seen this particular scene work out around my house where i live i mm -hmm. mean it's a fairly common occurrence not one I look forward to. What was interesting about this one was sort of the way this one was so close to our yard, uh, just off our, it wasn't very far out in the field. Um, and then just the other animals that were there, the eagle, the, the coyote, uh, you know, it was just sort of, the other times I've seen it, I, I had never seen the other predators there other than one time an eagle was out there by the dole. But just the way the whole thing played out, you know, it was kind of like a little play in a way that there was always these new scenes. First the eagle made it, or the, just the doe, and then the eagle made his entrance. And then the next morning it's a coyote out there. The first thing I see when I look out the window is this, just, like I said, I thought of the wolf. It yeah. was a huge coyote. Yeah. You know, just all the way the whole thing played out, it was just something that instantly I decided, I had in my mind, this is a story. Oh, no question. <laughs> that I <could> share. No <laughs> question. And you did a great job of telling that story. Uh, and you mentioned at the end, uh, you learned more not only about the nature of animals, but human nature as well. Uh, what did you learn about human nature? Well, like I said, I really want to believe that, you know, the, the feeling that I was feeling 
is a pervasive feeling that we go through most humans, that we are, with all the things that are going on in our country and in our world that sometimes can drag you down, at the end of the day, I really think that this experience helped me kind of bolster up that humans are good. <laughs> uh, most humans are very good. They want to feel empathy and help others and help animals and help, you know, they want to be helpful. And I really believe that. And this just kind of reminded me of that. Uh -huh. That in the end, I think human nature, though it can be bad at times, um, overall, I think it's a, it, you know, we're a good species. Well, Ron, Ron, I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, I appreciate you sharing that story uh, with us and uh, look forward to seeing more of your work. Like I said, always an honor to talk with you, Dan. All right. Well, folks, if you want to read this essay or hear Ron read it again, of course, we'll have it on our uh, podcast on Lakelink, but you can also read uh, the story and others that he's written at wisconsinlife.org. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Celebrate with the best rods on earth Saturday, June 18th in Park Falls, Wisconsin at St. Croix's annual Customer Appreciation Day. Enjoy seminars with top pros, casting instruction, a free brat lunch, and get amazing deals on St. Croix rods, apparel, and other items. Attend a free concert with Joe Booker and the Top Raiders at 2 and UMG Nashville singer-songwriter Cassie Ashton at 4. Come celebrate fishing fun and family at St. Croix Rod in Park Falls Saturday, June 18th. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. The Midwest's largest fishing website, lake-link.com, is your online fishing resource. 90% of Lake Link's features are yours to use free of charge. And members get access to Lake Link's online lake map library, lets you get GPS coordinates of any spot on the lake, and export waypoints to your onboard electronics. Members also get free outdoor classified ads, discounts on online store merchandise, and a whole lot more. You can also listen to Outdoors Radio 24-7 on Lake Link. Listen to this week's show... Catch any of our past shows, subscribe to our podcast, or even sign up for our weekly e-newsletter so you'll know in advance what's coming up right here. Just type in the keyword radio. See what you've been missing. Log on to lake-link.com today. That's lake-link.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. they got all kinds of great deals right now on new and used boats. So check out their website and Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Remy Battery, family-owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton, and now in Waukesha as Challenger Battery. Let's start something. Details at remybattery.com. And by the uh, Castle Rock Pete and Well Lakes Association, 60 square miles of fun on the water, castlerock-petenwell.com. 
Yeah, we will have Mike Miller on again soon to talk about that new uh, addition to the Remy battery family. They've bought a company that's long been there, another family-owned company called Challenger Battery, and they're going to keep that name for a while, but it is another Remy outlet. So people in the Waukesha County area have um, a new place to go and, uh, and get all the products that Remy offers. Well, if you missed our TV show called Outdoor Wisconsin, remember that show? You know, I still have people asking me, whatever happened to that show? Well, it's not airing in some areas now, and it is airing on Milwaukee PBS on the regular time, Thursday night, for now anyway. And it's also available online at milwaukeepbs.org. And these are all repeats. It's uh, They're not doing any new shows we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but that's the status right now. If you're interested in seeing one of our Deer Hunt shows, those are all archived on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin YouTube channel. If you missed anything on the radio program or you, you've stepped in late, want to take us with you during the week, you can do so at lake-link.com. Go to the outdoor radio page and uh, download the show, download past shows. And uh, you know what? When you find time, listen to us then. You can follow Dan on Dan Small Outdoors uh, across the heart of the um, social media channels and follow me at Hardwater Jeff. And a few calendar items this weekend, June 4th and 5th, is Free Fishing and Free Fun Weekend here in Wisconsin. Free admission to state parks, no fishing license needed. You do have to follow the bag limits and other rules, however. Details are online at DNR. .wi.gov, and the fourth is also National Trails Day. Most bike and ATV, UTV trails are open now, including the Elroy Sparta Bike Trail. We talked about that a little bit last week, I think. Uh, that is the first of 2,000 rails-to-trails bike trails in the U.S. And we talked about babies at the beginning of the show, baby animals. Well, the DNR reminds us that it's turtle nesting season, so watch for turtles crossing highways and if you want to help one crossing a road be sure to point it in the direction it was headed sometimes they're leaving water going to a sandy area like jeff's backyard to to lay (laughs) their eggs and i found a turtle nest in my yard uh, back when we lived in ozaki county so point them in the direction they're heading and watch out for them on the road Our friends at Ballard's Black Island Resort are offering a two-for-one summer deal, and it's a great opportunity if you have never fished Lake of the Woods. Get up there this summer, and it could be the trip of a lifetime for a couple or a father-son, father-daughter team. And it won't be offered, I don't imagine, for many more months or, or next year. This is, of course, because... You know, things have slowed down with COVID, uh, but they are open for business. And for details, go to blackisland.com. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com. I'm Dan Small. I'm here with Jeff Kelm. Be careful on the water if you're out this weekend, and be careful with campfires. It's still a dangerous time to burn outside. Get outside this weekend and be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. On one cold leg When the loon cries lover In the blue north wind I'll be trolling home to you When my wrist gets a little chilly 
on the gunnel When my lazy Ike is just too lazy to lure When the worms go dry In the coffee can, honey 